Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you, Bill Jack, Worldview Academy with me as well. And today, Bill, I want to interact with modern Christianity or religiosity, and I want to get to some of the Jesuses that are out there. I made my own list, and perhaps you can interact a bit with that. But first, in the news, Hillsong, X 29, in the news. I lost count in the number of scandals going on with Hillsong. I think I pretty much gave up on that. It's hard to believe that this organization could have done so very well, given its beginnings involved with so much pedophilia. Hmm. And, 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 and Bill, I think the foundations matter. Let me just say that. The foundations matter. When your foundations come out of a fair amount of pedophilia, which we find with Frank Houston, I'm talking about the 1970s, 1980s, on into the early 1990s, and you've got that happening. That doesn't seem much like Martin Luther's Reformation. You know what I'm saying? A, I don't think, I think we need to step back at times and say, you know what? We don't have a Reformation going on. There is not a cultural transformation happening. There may be some flash in the pan, something or other going on, but uh, there may be an external appearance of some kind of passion for something. But this ain't a Reformation. Now, I guess I say that because, Bill, we need a reformation. And when I say that, what, what, what comes to your mind when I say we need a reformation? Yeah. It's a transformation. We need national transformations. And you got that out of that reformation. You, you even had a scientific revolution that came out of the reformation. You know, it affected science. It affected politics. It affected art. It affected art. liberties. Yeah. Think about liberties. It affected the entire planting of the United States of America, didn't it? I mean, we would not have had. Would you agree with this? We would not have had Patrick Henry, Samuel Adams, the Declaration of Independence, our Constitution. We would not have the Bill of Rights if we had not had a spiritual reformation and perhaps an awakening, a great awakening of right. the 1740s. Right. You agree with that? I agree. And I don't think we're seeing that in modern Christianity. If somebody would just step back and say, you know what? This is not a reformation and we need a reformation. I'd be thankful for that. Yeah. Well, Hillsong has fixed its problems. This is the latest article. Hillsong has stepped up, fixed its problems by appointing 40% women to the governing board. How does that fix a problem? Exactly. What is the problem that they're trying to fix? Well, there's been, there's been, you know, lots of illustrations of abuse. I mean, they say abuse, meaning violations of the seventh commandment, I guess. Let's just be honest with the, the story here. But when women and children lead the church, especially the megachurches, you know that's pretty much over. It's the last gasp of a dying culture. Isaiah 3.12 comes back again. Women and children shall lead them. The power is gone. The glory is gone. The transformation of family, education, culture, politics. It's gone out of Australia. It's gone out of the United States of America. If, if this is the essence of our reformations, Friends, we, 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 we are not reformed. We, we are not seeing cultural transformation develop. I, 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 think, I think I'm just speaking the obvious here. I'm not even getting into any of the nitty gritty. I'm just stepping back and looking at the big picture, and I'm not seeing much. Now, Matt Chandler has been asked to take a leave from his role as president of Acts 29. Previous Acts 29 CEO Steve Timmis was removed accusations of some sort of abuse in 2020, and former president and founder Mark Driscoll was removed in 2013 amid varying scandalous accusations. Okay, so that's the reputation. That, that's, this is not a reformation. 
Hello? Is anybody listening to me? This is not a reformation. This is not a revival. This There's no great awakening. <laughs> Maybe this is a little awakening. Now, it's not even a little awakening. No. I, friends, can we just step back and say there's something wrong with this picture? It becomes more of a nightmare, not an awakening. We're going to talk more on this in just a moment in the Generations broadcast. Stay with us. What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West, as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live you can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org slash store today. That's generations.org slash store. And we're back on the Generations broadcast with Kevin Swanson, Bill Jack as well. Bill... I so desire a great awakening. I so desire a reformation of some sort in which we would see something. Now, again, the difference between this flash in the pan, increase of creative passion, you know, whatever it is, and a real reformation is there's got to be a true transformation of culture and life. Probably evident 15 to 20 years later. Yeah. Now, does that make sense? Yeah. How, how would you know you had one? I think you'd, you'd see it 20 years later. Yeah, you'd, you'd see the rippling effects yeah. in people's lives, which then pours out into their spheres of influence. Yeah. And friends, as the Western faith has died, Western religion transitioned in various ways. Little churches of 100, 200, 300 members transitioned into churches of 20,000. Now, keep in mind, churches have always been relatively small with a great deal of shepherding and careful discipline going on. John Calvin's church in Geneva had a membership of 400. That would probably be one of your biggest churches hmm. in, in, in the world at that point. Now, I think also what we get is a return to gross hierarchical forms of government with CEOs and presidents of large networks. Now, Bill, can you see Peter going now, here's my card, the Apostle Peter, here's, here's my card, CEO of Acts 28. <laughs> can, can you see that? I mean, P- Peter with his card, I'm the president of this shooting match. In fact, I was just reading 2 John, 3 John is my devotion this morning. And you know what shocked me? This is John, an elder, to the lady you know, wherever she was or whatever. She, she might have been the church, but this is John, an elder. Not the elder. Right. An elder. Yeah. Just an elder not, of the church. Yeah, not John, not, not John the big the, dude. The, the big CEO hoo-ha 
of the whole shooting match. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what you get with the apostles. Was Peter the first pope? Was John the CEO of Acts 28? I don't think so. Let's face it. This is back to a centralized hierarchical form, but not so much as a pope, but more in a modern corporate sense, a very organizational corporate approach. I'm sure it's very modern, but also here's one more thing. Pastoral shepherding has moved to herding. And you understand shepherding and herding cattle drives have run as high as a thousand cat. Actually the, the largest cattle drive in history, the, the kind of like a mega church, 10,652 cows. I, I looked it up. It was occurred in 1882. So yeah, you know, it's the largest cattle drive in history is over 10,000. There, there's a difference between herding and shepherding. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. We we just recently, my son and I took a trip up to hike in the in the Wind River Range in Wyoming, and we ran into a traffic jam up there in Wyoming. In Wyoming? Yeah. Like out in the boonies? Yeah. Traffic jam? Yeah. We were stopped for at least 20 minutes uh-huh. by the time we arrived, and there had been probably going on for another 20 minutes. There was a cattle drive. It's cattle drive. Across the road. And they were crossing the road. Okay. Now, what was interesting about it, you would think all these cows would be just bunched up as they walked down the fence line, they were all single file. No way. And oh, it wow. was, it, you couldn't see the beginning or the ending of it. Hmm. Single file. And they were just snickering at all of the the tourists in Wyoming who were stopped on the highway because they could have, they could have shortened that cattle drive by probably, you know, half if they'd just been bunched up. But no, single file. Mm-hmm. Smirking at us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a difference between uh, herding and shepherding. And, uh, and and the church is not a cattle drive. The church is a fold, a, a group of 30, 40, 60 sheep. And there are shepherds who care for them one at a time. Uh, we need to come back to shepherding. This is one thing that will be essential to the reestablishment of the church in the 21st century. Also, denominationalism, I think, has turned towards even more fracturing on even less substantial terms. Now, personally, Bill, I don't think there should be fracturing on relatively minor issues. That This is my position. Like some minor church government issues or how much water to use in a baptism or even the timing of the baptism. Now, I'm at that position. I, I, however, I do believe that churches should break away over matters like salvation by grace alone or ethical matters where the law of God speaks to uh, homosexuality, bestiality, or incest. I, I think those are major issues. You with me? But oh, yeah. how much water do you use in a baptism to me is a minor issue. And I don't think the church has done a good job on this. Uh, that's my position. I do think that churches should break away over certain matters like salvation by grace alone, but not by more minor issues. But uh, it seems to me that the fracturing around music styles, cool dress styles, or a charismatic leader, but like Mark Driscoll, or Brian Houston, is even worse. That is, this is an even higher level of schism in the church. And this isn't Jesus. This isn't John 17. This is going in the wrong direction. And anywhere there's preeminence, exclusivism, centralized systems of control, where we, we can't come together and, and acknowledge and respect differences in ministry approaches, minor doctrinal differences, 
we all have differing gifts and differing approaches. That's okay. I think the best action to take is what, what we have taken in this small community, and that is to immediately join with other local churches in our area, ignore denominations, meet as pastors on a weekly basis for prayer, and pray for revival. I believe this is the only way right now to transcend the 300 years of schisms that have ripped apart the Protestant church. And so this is what I've done over the last eight years, and it's been highly effective. And I, I think we have to transcend this exclusivism and cross over these boundaries and establish meaningful fellowship and meeting together as pastors in our local communities. It's the only way I think we can approach the problem we're faced with. There's another issue that I think that we need to address as well, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the broadcast, and that is we need to understand, we need to identify the real Jesus. Will the real Jesus please stand up? And and I would say there have been a number of false Jesus movements of the 20th and 21st centuries. And that includes the health and wealth Jesus. And you know who this is. Yeah. This this appears to me to be somebody very different than the Christ of Scripture. Yeah, it's not the Jesus that Paul preached. I don't see that. <laughs> I, don't I don't see. see I don't see Paul with a lot of health and wealth. And, and and to determine the will of God or imposing my will on God's will in the healing of myself or somebody else is not scriptural. Hmm. That's just not scriptural. We cannot allow for that. That 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 turns man into the sovereign and God into the puppet. Exactly. And we can't allow for that. The antinomian Jesus, we've talked about that many times. Those that oppose the law of God. There's the powerless Jesus who can't save anybody from their sins. And I would say that at the point at which you're saying a homosexual must retain their orientation and identity. As a homosexual, they have denied the power of the gospel and the power of the living Christ. To, to reestablish a new identity and create a new creature in Christ. Yeah. What happened? Was so it first so there's the health. Yeah, that's right. The health and wealth Jesus, the antinomian Jesus, the powerless Jesus. Then there's the cool Jesus, or what I would call the tattooed Jesus. And, and that, again, is a massively externalistic form of religion. Then there is the truthless Jesus, not toothless. Well, it might be toothless. Toothless or truthless, either way. Either way, if, if it's truthless, then it is toothless. But the truthless Jesus, Bill, again, this is the best assessment that I've been able to put together. The truthless Jesus is the almost complete abandonment of doctrine altogether. And you find that increasingly people don't want to talk about the Trinity. How many Trinity Baptist churches or Trinity Community Church do you find in the present day? Rather, you find the way or not even the way it would be like the doorknob church <laughs> or the 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 stream church or the pebble church or the the peak church or i'm just looking at the 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 laptop church uh, the laptop cord church <laughs> I, I, i'm grabbing things right now. the the light bulb church or the lampshade church lampshade oh there's another one yeah mm. okay Okay. I, I think but there's, see, an, there's when, a, when you hear that, what are you hearing? You're hearing, here's people who don't really want to express any truth. They, they don't f- want to find themselves formed on any foundations. So again, you know, I'm not, again, I, I don't believe that we should jettison all truth. I'm just saying we need to be sure that our foundations are firm and we find our unity on the rock solid foundations of the 
the the most fundamental presuppositions presented in God's word relating to the nature of God, the nature of man, and man's salvation. I, I think there's another Jesus. There's the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Who's he? he he's the effeminate Jesus. He's not the manly Jesus. He's not the Jesus who sat down and purposely braided a whip and went into the temple and drove the money changers out. He's the emasculated Jesus that we we tout and we have for many, many decades. It's not this is not a recent thing. It's the the idea that that Jesus is a is a milk toast, that he is meek in the sense of no strength. Weak. He's weak, and meekness is strength under control. Meekness is illustrated by the the twelve year old girl who has the reins of the the stallion that she's riding, and the stallion chooses to obey when he could easily buck her off. Mm-hmm. That's meekness. It's strength under control, and that's what Jesus exhibited. And it's, it's the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Too often is this this soft palmed Jesus. Mm-hmm. He he was not. He was not used to labor. He was he was effeminate. He was he was an academic, but he did not get his hands dirty. You don't exactly see the vision of Isaiah sixty three. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I've trodden the winepress alone. I've trodden them in my anger and trampled them on my fury. Their blood is sprinkled on my garments. I've stained all my robes for the day of vengeance in my heart. And the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger. Therefore, my own arm brought about salvation for me. So, again, the, the picture of Jesus riding into battle at the cross to overcome principalities and powers and crush the devil's head for us, don't exactly get that from the weak Jesus scenario. And I would just throw in the sentimentalized, romantic Dionysian Jesus, where we reduce the truth to the romantic feeling or the expression of romance or feeling that we get from the music program. And then there's the channeled Jesus, which is in contrast with the truthless Jesus. He's effectively the Jesus that channels his thinking into new writings, new revelations. And before you know it, we wind up with another issue of Jesus calling. So those are the pseudo Jesuses we have of the 21st century. And I think so much of it has resulted in the breakdown of the evangelical church in America and around the world. Revelation 3 and verse 18, let me end with this, Bill. I I, I want to talk about zeal. I want to talk about passion. And I think this somewhat connects to some of the things we've talked about already. In Revelation 3.18, Jesus tells the church at Laodicea, I counsel you to buy me from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. This is the church that needs revival. This is the church that needs the Reformation. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now here, Jesus calls us to fervency, to zeal. To, to be on fire, to be boiling for him, to be ardently passionate and completely intent on the thing we are zealous for. 
Now, to be zealous is not to be half asleep. It is not to be half-hearted or half-committed. And so here's the call. The call is to be zealous for what? And that's the question. Now, there's a lot of false fervency out there today, a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, lots of primal screams in today's music and worship, okay? But we're not called in anywhere in Scripture. Now, I did a search on zeal and passion and this burning that's, that Jesus requires of us. I did a search on this throughout all of Scripture. I don't find it expressed in the music program. Hmm. Nowhere does it say that we need more primal screams. We need more unfettered emotion poured out through the, the, the PA systems of our churches throughout the United States and around the world. Nowhere does it call for that, okay? It doesn't really call for passion in worship in the sense that there should be this passion in the music program. Okay. Is that, so, you think that's because music always elicits some form of passion because of the lyrics and because of the music and because of the the beat there there is that it naturally elicits a passionate response in people and so immediately in first corinthians 14 paul says you know if you sing then sing with the spirit and sing with the understanding so he immediately right. qualifies it be sure your understanding is well engaged it's not to sing like the gentiles did or to chant right, repeatedly right, so right. that you you become in an altered whip, state whip of consciousness yourself up into yeah. an altered state of consciousness yeah. yes you're right but but in a positive sense where does the fervency flow in the preaching of the gospel well let's let's go through this now, this is an exhortation i gave to the fathers and sons at our devotional uh, last friday morning there's a lot of passion out there, but there's this false fervency you have to watch out for. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. So there we have to watch out because we get a lot of a lot of passion coming out in a music program, but it turns out the music leader is shacked up with his girlfriend. Okay, so so we understand that there's a lot of fervent lips with a wicked heart. And that's like an earthenware covered with silver dross. Jesus condemns them who knew their master's will and did not do it. They will be beaten with many stripes. That's that empty mind religion. He also condemned the hypocrites who honored God with their lips, with their music, with their confessions, but their heart was far from him. So false worship is worshiping on Sunday, but not on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Isaiah 1 speaks of false worship as celebrating the new moon, the Sabbath, the Christmas, praise and worship, hands spread out, etc., etc., but your hands are still full of blood. In other words, you're still giving way to abortion. You're using the abortifacients, etc. So what is true fervency? Well, Jesus loves us with a fervent love, chastens us, and we are called to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind, affections, will, everything. We're called to love God. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So there's a fervency about our love for, for Jesus and our love for God. And, and that should display itself in a 10,000 applications. But 1 Peter 4 and verse 8 also encourages us to a fervent love one for another for love will cover a multitude of sins. In other words, there's such fervency in our love for each other within the church that we're forgiving each other. We're making it through all the conflicts. We're, we're, you know, Love is something that just pursues and perseveres and bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's that fervent love that just keeps going. 
and, and, and doesn't just blow up at every crisis. That's a fervent love one for another. It's a fervent love that is the love for the martyr that's willing to, to give up our lives, to throw everything away for Jesus. That's fervent love. In fact, verse 18 says, I counsel you, this is a counsel to Laodicea in Revelation 3, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. And so what is that? As I see it, that's that fervency, but it's applied in this way, in that we subject ourselves to persecutions. We actually literally, because we are such a lukewarm church in order to fire ourselves up, here's what we do. Okay, Bill? We, 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 we buy gold, refine the fire. We buy a one-way ticket to Saudi Arabia and open up a street evangelism ministry in Riyadh that lasts for about a month and a half until we are martyred for Jesus. Okay, so that will wake you up. That's what he's saying. That will, that will turn you from the lukewarm to the on fire. That will, that will turn you to be more fervent for Jesus and be willing to give up your life for Jesus and become a martyr for Jesus. That's the fervency Jesus is calling for here. Now, there's also a fervency in action, Romans 12 and verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And then we come back to Revelation 3. What specifically was it that is called from us in terms of our fervency? Not the primal screams, not the the overdone emotion in the worship, praise and worship music program. No, no, no. It's a fervency in repentance. Be zealous and repent, says Jesus. 2 Corinthians 7 Verse 11 says the same thing, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication in all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. And they, they verified, they validated their repentance as a church by a clearing, by a, a fear, by a vehement desire, by a zeal, they were on fire for their repentance. The Corinthian church held nothing back in their repentance, in their sorrow, in their humility, in their confession of sin. They pulled out their right eyes. They cut off their right arms in the mortification of their sins. And you know what? They completely obliterated the porn habits that were pretty obvious within the young men within that congregation. There was so much gouging out of right eyes. There was so much mortification of sin. There was so much on-fireness for more transparency for more public confessions of sin amongst the congregation that uh, that this sin was really dealt with as a congregation. So real zeal is not so much sudden bursts of emotions, but a constant expansion and exercise of mind affections, attention, intentions, commitment to repent, to obey, to follow through, to reset daily priorities, actually visiting the poor in their affliction, keeping oneself unspotted from the world, all our faculties wholeheartedly engaged in love for God. And I'm telling you, my friends, it's time for zeal. It's time to get fired up. It's time for a revival. It's time for real repentance, to, for, for, for a real reformation within the church of Jesus Christ. It's time to wake up. It's time to be zealous. It's time to be on fire for love for God, for repentance, and for service for God in the churches and for love of the brethren as well. Be on fire. Be on fire for these things. That's the zeal that Jesus calls us to today. And this is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. 